Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Aaron Mete. How you doing, Katie? I'm good. You? I'm good. I'm newly censored, uh, this time by the FBI and Ukrainian intelligence. That's the latest news for me, which we're going to talk about in today's uh, Thursday Throwdown, or this week's wow. Thursday Throwdown. This, wow. Which you can, of course, find at usefulidiots.substack.com or usefulidiots.locals.com. Yep. I'm intrigued. I'm very yeah. excited to hear about this. Well, for my part, uh, in terms of what's new with me, I've gotten kind of addicted to Michael Connolly's Lincoln Lawyer series okay, on tell me audio, more. audible books. Well, tell me more. Because I can't do anything in my apartment, like any straightening up or the dishes without listening to a podcast or an audiobook. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to look for this in an audiobook form. I did. I already read one. I already listened to one Lincoln Lawyer. That was a bunch of hours. I don't even want to reveal how many. And now I'm on my second Lincoln Lawyer book. Anyway, I'm not getting paid to make this endorsement. Yeah, it sounds like you're into it. I'm really into it. So, Michael, if you're watching this, come on the show. All right. Well, let's get to our four basic food groups. Democrats suck. Republicans suck. Isn't that weird? Isn't that terrible? What do we have for Democrats suck? So for Democrats suck, we have a great kind of summary of why Democrats suck, which comes from friend of show and intrepid journalist and recipient of so much hate, uh, David Sirota of Lever News. And uh, here's what he had to say about the debt ceiling deal that everyone has been praising. He tweets, the DNC is now launching ads thanking Biden for a debt deal that does this. Really think about what that says. Really think about what it admits. And when he says does this, he goes through a couple of screenshots to show what this is. So the first one is anti-hunger advocates slammed the expanded work requirements for SNAP participants in the Biden-McCarthy debt limit deal. It's not doing anything to help them, to help the economy. It's just a punitive way to take food away from people, said the SNAP director for the Food Research and Action Center. So that's one thing it does. Another thing it does. Here's uh, Lockheed Martin CEO hails Pentagon budget boost in debt limit deal. The head of the major U.S. military contractor said the Pentagon top line in the debt ceiling is, quote, as good an outcome as our industry or our company could ask for at this point, end quote. More. Debt deal would end freeze on student loan payments. SoFi stock jumps. And the debt ceiling deal fast tracks the approval of climate killing fossil fuel pipeline. So those are all the things that the Democrats have achieved. And again, this is something that the Democrats could have avoided had they just raised the debt ceiling during the lame duck session. So yeah, congrats, Democrats, for absolutely sucking. You know, James Galbraith, who is an economist at University of Austin, he just has a new article. It's called uh, The Democrats' Disastrous Debt Deal. And what he points out is that, just as you said, Katie, that Democrats surrendered for no reason on really important policies, such as protecting food aid to low-income people. And there was no reason to. But yet they're celebrating this as some sort of bipartisan triumph and that this is how politics are supposed to work. What can you say? What can you say? And it is how politics are supposed to work for them because Democrats famously pretend that they are powerless to do something when it's really that they don't want to do it. Right. And we're in there and they are so any, I mean, the best thing for Democrats is is how bad the Republicans are because then they get to pretend that it's because they're up against them. And they don't reveal how they're actually showing up to a knife fight with one hand tied behind their back. Okay. So what do we got for Republicans suck, Aaron? For Republicans suck, uh, well, 
Governor Christy Noem of South Dakota has a new foe, and they are a store or a chain of stores known as Target. 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 And Governor Noem is mad at Target because they apparently made a donation to a group called the NDN Collective, which is a Native American group that has called Mount Rushmore a symbol of white supremacy because it's on stolen Lakota land. And so because NDN said that, now Governor Noam wants to boycott all Target stores in the country. Here she is. It's dangerous. And, and Steve, I'll tell you, I'm like a lot of Americans. Love to shop at Target. I mean, we do, but we just can't yeah. anymore. And while the rest of the country is worried about you know, having fun and going out and shopping and enjoying a store, that store is fundamentally tearing down this country. And we have to have real conversations about how serious we are about protecting our freedom. Sure, absolutely. Target's having a bad month, just saying. They are. So, Governor, you're there in it's South. deserved. Wow. So Target is tearing down this country, everybody. No more Target for Governor Noam. And that's too bad, because as she just said, she has a lot of fun doing that. Shopping at Target. Yeah, it's a fun time for her, yeah. 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 Well, no more fun for Governor Noam, I guess, so when uh, Target's tearing down the country. So Target, you're on notice. Right. Well, you know, and he says that Target is having a bad month. And maybe he's referring to the fact that uh, a Target shopper tore down Pride sign. Did you see this? I, I missed this one. No. So tar here's an article from the New York Post. Target shoppers tear down Pride sign as fury over LGBTQ merch spills into aisles. And the Minneapolis-based chain, which has lost $9 billion in the last week following boycott calls over LGBTQ-friendly kids' clothing, has announced it will remove some of the offending items partly due to their workers' safety fears. So. Disgusting as the uh, pride rainbow is devil worship. Okay. Well-deserved, according to Fox News, this well-deserved uh, treatment of Target. I mean, yeah. he's just defending, he's defending our freedoms when he does that. I mean, Governor Noam said that Target is tearing down the country, but really the people doing the tearing down are people who are mad at Target, like right. that man right there. But according right. to Noam, he's tearing down the store that's tearing down this right. country. Yeah. <laughs> so it's tearing down on tearing down. It's an eye for an eye, a tear for a tear. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. All right. What do we have for Isn't That Weird? For Isn't That Weird, we have something posted by a great Twitter account that everyone should should follow called uh, History in Memes. And this shows us a kind of compilation, a an edit, a montage of people engaging in a pig calling contest. I don't know. Do you know what a pig calling contest is, Aaron? I do not. Well, it's a, it's a contest where people um, engage in their best pig calls. And this this is kind of a terrible because I, as someone who I, I don't eat pork because I love pigs so much because they're so cute and smart. I don't like this because this is how 
pig hunters, I guess, try to call in their pigs to hunt them. So, but here's a compilation of some of the people engaging in this. Freddy. Freddy. Fred. I guess a pig is named Fred. So that's hog calling for you. That's a hog calling. Uh, that's impressive. It is kind of impressive, right? Yeah. And I can't do that with my mouth. I mean, that's I, that, that's that's really there were that's up there with. Remember in the movie Police Academy, like the police officer who could do all those great sound effects. Right. Yeah. That's that up, up there for there. me with that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Just so you know, I mean, I don't have the only thing I could find on this was a Wikipedia entry, but apparently to attract pigs or family, the calls are based on four strategies, a male call to encourage territorial males to come to fight, a female call to encourage males to come to mate, a general call of dinner is served and a piglet in distress call, which works on adults. That's just terrible. I, I definitely felt encouraged to mate there when I was listening to those sounds. So does that make me a pig? Maybe. I guess Maybe. so. I guess I'm a pig. Yeah, God. you're a pig. Yeah. Well, whoever encouraged you to mate should win that contest. Yeah. So that's but I also felt I also felt in distress too. So maybe I'm also a female pig. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? You're a sow. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. For isn't that terrible? Check this out from the New York Times. Breaking news: The pharmaceutical company Merck sued the U.S. government, claiming a law that lets Medicare negotiate prices with drug makers is unconstitutional. So according to Merck, <laughs> it's unconstitutional for the government to ask you or to negotiate with you uh, prices that prevent you from profiteering off of, uh, you know, patients who need insulin and things like that. Yeah, our founding fathers definitely didn't want that. <laughs> and uh, here's more from journalist Lee Fong. He says Merck gouges U.S. patients and taxpayers, charging Americans, for example, 30 four times more than Europeans for Genuvia, its diabetes drug. Here's the hysterical Merck lawsuit today attempting to block the new law to allow the government to negotiate a lower price. Really, I think only in the US could you see a lawsuit like this where a major pharmaceutical company that benefits already so much from you know lax government regulations suing the government when it dares try to impose a little bit of restrictions and getting it to not profit too much from uh, selling people necessary medications. That's awful. Well, what's really funny is just looking at this uh, the screenshot that Lee Fong posted is that it's saying the IRA's mechanism for affecting this taking makes a mockery of the First Amendment. So somehow this is a First Amendment issue. Free speech. Free speech. Free speech, Free Free speech, speech mean, allows yeah. price, price gouging. Yes. That's that's what the framers meant. Yeah. Yeah. Got to let people price price gouge. Yeah. If not, I mean, yeah. we should just put what Merck should do is they should have an image of uh, the the CEO of Merck with a like a a muzzle on to show how <laughs> what a violation of uh, the First Amendment this is. Definitely, that will win people over for sure. Yeah. All righty, and those are the four basic food groups. 
Aaron, you have some exciting news, and we're going to get into this in detail on uh, this week's Thursday Throwdown, which, of course, you can find at usefulidiots.locals.com or usefulidiots.substack.com. But give us a little teaser of what you uh, discovered. In short, uh, Ukraine, with the FBI's help, tried to censor me on Twitter, along with uh, a number of other names. Back in March 2022, the FBI sent Twitter a list of accounts that it had been given by Ukraine's SBU, which is Ukraine's main intelligence agency. And the FBI said that Ukraine says that these accounts spread fear and disinformation. So please review these. And the SBU said in their attached note that, please, we, we want you to block these accounts and also give them their contact information. And Twitter responded and said, okay, we'll take a look. But just so you know, this list includes journalists for example, Aaron Maté. And to find out what happened next, we're going to leave you with that cliffhanger. <laughs> to find out what happened next, join usefulidiots.substack.com or usefulidiots.locals.com. And we're going to get into how Aaron discovered this and how it has to do with the Twitter files. We're really excited to bring back onto the show the Academy Award winning director and screenwriter, Oliver Stone to talk about his latest film, Nuclear Now. You know him for writing Scarface. You know him for Wall Street, Platoon, JFK. JFK. So many, so many legendary films. But his new documentary uh, is about nuclear power, and Oliver Stone is making the case for it. And this is the trailer. We may have come to a point in time when Earth is asking us. Do you know what you're doing? Most of our power still comes from burning gas and coal. And the amount is going up, not down. If we do not cut carbon emissions by nearly 100%, the world will suffer serious damage. This is an even bigger problem than we thought. The answer to solving climate change is very straightforward. What's the best solution in your mind? Largely nuclear. 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 We've been trained from the very beginning to fear nuclear power. The very thing that we fear is what may save us. What's scary is not the same as what's dangerous. Coal is dangerous. Now, more people die from coal in a couple of weeks than have ever died from nuclear, which is all from the one accident in Chernobyl. First question is, what about the waste? Nuclear waste is nothing compared to climate change. Once you understand it, people have a better sense of not being afraid. We have to provide clean, affordable energy to the world. In general, we need to move faster. We do this for our families, we do this for our kids yeah, sure. and those generations. We've run out of time to be afraid. So without any further ado, Oliver Stone. Welcome back. So excited to have you back on the show. Thank you, Katie. It's nice to be here. And uh, your film, your latest film, Nuclear Now, is really great. And I wanted to start off by asking you what changed your mind? Because you mentioned in the film that uh, 
you say, I too once believed the environmentalists were right and that nuclear power was dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. We were cross-wiring nuclear power with nuclear energy. So what, what made you change your mind on this? Fear. Fear and uh, confusion. Obviously, I'm living through our lifetime. It's from the 2000 period to now. I saw the Al Gore film. It sounded good. I, I'm not an expert at all. And, uh, you know, renewables were invested in heavily. And uh, years go by. And, of course, the news remains horrible and bad. It's confusing. And a lot of claims. And uh, certainly nuclear gets brought up but badly and negatively in the, in the main media, I would say nuclear is always described as dangerous. So, you know, that's just assumed like that. It's assumed it's dangerous. So that makes me, I, I suspect something is weird here, but just, just want a better explanation. So the book comes out, it's called a bright future by Josh Goldstein, who's a professor of international relations and Stefan Svist, Skivist, who's a Swedish uh, nuclear engineer. They write a book called Bright Future, beautifully reviewed in New York Times by Richard Rhodes, who knows what he's talking about. And it says nuclear energy is the only viable way to get out of this mess. And it goes into all the facts dryly, difficult to read maybe, but it's a short book. And I got the option to the book and with, with Josh by my side, diligently worked my way through many drafts of a script to try to understand this phenomenon and what nuclear energy really is, not the opinions of nuclear energy. Which is, you get a lot of that. Everybody's got an opinion. They, they got an opinion about I'm pro-nuclear, I hate nuclear, blah, 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 radioactive waste, all the what ifs. And there's a lot of them. And I've read everything, well, not everything, but a lot of stuff that is so detailed and it, it drives it's distracting and drives you crazy. But a lot of people don't really study it. So I wanted to know, and this is what I did with Josh, who believes firmly in nuclear energy. Not that he doesn't believe in renewables, but simply that renewables won't make the gap, will not make, will not create enough size, continental volume to make, uh, to get there where we need to be, to really have clean energy, which is to say no carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and no CH4, uh, no methane either which is very few people think about that, but methane is extremely dangerous and part of the gas phenomenon. So here we are 20 years later, spent trillion, trillions of dollars, Germany, all, the, all these advanced Western countries, United States, and we're not getting there. The carbon uh, in the atmosphere goes up, not down. We're up at 84%. So it's, fossil fuels are still in vogue. We're still using coal and oil and gas. Now more gas than ever. So that's what doesn't work. How do we make it work? That's what the film is about. And it's honest and practical and real. And I think it's very factual. It's, I've shown it in all the scientific places, uh, MIT, Harvard, uh, shown it in, you know, to scientists, people. And I don't, there's, there's nitpicking, but there's no, the facts are correct in this film. One of the most compelling arguments made by the film is how many more people die through um, climate change than through using nuclear energy. So can you expand on that? Yeah. yeah. The, the, uh, if you look at the scale of deaths for energy production, the lowest is nuclear energy and close to solar. Uh, the highest is coal, brown coal, coal, uh, oil, and then you work your way down. 
even hydropower has more fatalities by far. So in terms of deaths, that's, that's a fact. We're not even talking about all the waste products that come out of, you know, the energy production of, of agriculture. Uh, we have ammonia, we have mercury, lead, all the uh, shit that is out in the atmosphere as well as the, the land, the, gr- the ground that these other industries put out. Nuclear, relatively speaking, is, is clean. There's no backup required. In, in many cases, it, it uses its own waste in the newer reactors. I thought it was also fascinating. I've seen the film twice now, and I thought it was fascinating. You, you debunked a lot of mythology around Chernobyl and Fukushima. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. We went over, uh, we, we interviewed the scientist in Russia who was one of the head of the cleaning up uh, of, of Chernobyl, and he was quite shaken, and he went into detail, as you saw, and he said very clearly that the Chernobyl film made by HBO in 2015 is a fear document. It's a sensationalistic fiction, he said, because they were trying to really, the scientists are responsible, and they were trying to do good, and they weren't a bunch of idiots who were ideologically bound. They were trying to clean up, but they did screw up. It was a screw up. They didn't have a containment structure. Who knows why? And on top of it, when it leaked, it would it leaked low level radiation. That's what people background radiation. They don't understand that it's not the dangerous radiation from Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So people conflate nuclear power with nuclear bomb. It's enriched plutonium is what makes the bomb, and it takes a lot of steps and it takes a lot of work. It's it's not easy to make a bomb. But these nuclear plants are not blowing up like not blowing up like Hiroshima or Nagasaki, and and the one that did blow up at Chernobyl, we saw the damage. The, the clouds went off into northern Europe, low-level radiation, and frankly, they haven't been able to make make out how many people have died. It's from that radiation because people get cancer anyway. They estimate the World Health Organization, the UN, did extensive studies. They came out with four thousand people who possibly died from cancer. And since then, there's been other studies that say it's less. So a lot of this is sensationalism. It's been, you know, some people say millions of people died or this and that, but it's, it's just not coming out in any scientific evidence. And the same is true of Fukushima, which is called a nuclear disaster. It's called, but it's not. It's actually a tsunami disaster and an earthquake disaster that killed 18,000 people roughly. Nobody, nobody died from the uh, from nuclear radiation at at uh, Fukushima. They did the tests on the Japanese citizens. Nobody died. That's what drives me crazy. So you hear these stories and you believe it, and you react to it. Of course, uh, same is true of Three Mile Island, which started the whole thing in terms of the United States. Nobody died at Three Mile Island. It worked. The the uh, containment structure worked. There was no. As far as I know, no known leakage. Nobody got hurt, at, but it was sensationalized by the news at the time because it was the first time it happened. And there was the Jane Fonda film, ironically, it was coming out at the same time, which was a disaster story fictionalized called uh, China Syndrome, followed by Silkwood, followed by, you know, nuclear is not, uh, movies have never, uh, films have never done any favors to nuclear en- energy. Uh, they made all the monsters in the 1950s I grew up with were radio- radioactive uh, creatures coming from the sea, coming from space and so forth. Albert, what do you think um, accounts for the, the, the gap that you've identified between the actual 
reality of nuclear power and the way it's perceived in the public? It's the sensationalism of the media. I mean, people like to hear about disasters the same way that a plane crash evokes huge headlines. Uh, you know, people die and it's horrible, and, but they militate against the, the airlines are condemned repeatedly. Meanwhile, cars keep killing far more people every day, uh, far more. Uh, so there's an imbalance because of melodrama and uh, film. The, the Koreans shut down their reactors uh, in reaction to another film called Pandora, which made, I saw clips of the film, it makes it look like at the end of the world, the explosion. It wasn't. That was a, based on the Fukushima, making it look like a nuclear disaster. So uh, I think there's a, a love of the big bad wolf. It's, it's true about everything, by the way, you know. Everything uh, we hear about, it's always magnified at first. So we have to learn this ability to react to sensationalism and calm our thinking and look at it without fear. Uh, as Marie Curie suggested in the beginning of the film, everything has to be studied to understand it as opposed to categorize it and uh, describe it as a disaster and make the news spreading uh, spreading gossip spreading rumor you also talk about the way the fossil fuel companies the rockefeller foundation the new york times all contributed to um this kind of vilification of nuclear energy can you talk about that yeah that was in the 50s 1956 report that was very important because eisenhower was pushing atoms for peace which was amazing was a really progressive program it was the most progressive thing he ever did uh, he was really trying to use atoms for peaceful purposes. And he saw that he knew the difference of, between the two. But of course, at the same time, he was building up our military industrial complex. So it's a very uh, paradoxical situation. Eisenhower's plan was criticized, but it went ahead and it was starting to work. They built enormous amount of reactors in our country by 1980s. They were almost 100. And they built France, built between 1960 and 75, built 58 reactors, General de Gaulle, and in Sweden too, they built six major reactors and they went on and they were working. Everything was working. We would have been a nuclearized society if we kept going with Eisenhower plan. But things started to happen in the 1970s and there was a huge historical movement of negativity towards nuclear energy, which was misfounded and misunderstood. That's going to be in the historical record if we ever get there, it's going to be a major thing. That what happened with Ralph Nader and his group and all the environmental groups, they put us on a detour and exaggerated all the findings on nuclear energy they could, Greenpeace, Friends of the Earth, and so forth. Uh, the Rockefeller Report comes from 1956 when, again, John Rockefeller Foundation, he wasn't alive then, the foundation put out this report with its scientists. And its scientists, you know, you have, to put, you have to put your thumb on the scale to understand this. They said that every radio, any m amount of radiation affects the body negatively, which is not really true because we have a body, and this has been found out since then. By the way, that report made it to the New York Times because the publisher of the New York Times was on the foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation. They put it, they don't have to advertise it, they just put it on page one. Uh, radiation peril to the body. You saw it in the film. So that sets up the whole doubt thing about radiation. But it's low-level radiation. 
and we go to some extent in the movie to to show you what low level radiation is and how we get it every day and the dna factor at that same time 52 crick and watson discover dna which ties into this argument because dna is this replication of ourselves we have two we repair our body as we go and this was proven finally, as if it's, it was never understood, in 2015 by three scientists who got the Nobel Prize in chemistry for, sh for, act for showing very clearly that we repair the damage to the body as we live from our duplicate, our duplicate RNA or DNA. Uh, there you go. So I don't know what we live with radiation. It's with us with, from the beginning. It's been the earth is made of radiation. Uranium's everywhere. It's in this, the sun bombards us with cosmic rays. They go in black beaches of Brazil. They go and sit in the, in the, in, in the sun. They want the radiation for, it can have a healing purpose, as you know, for diagnostic reasons on cancer. It cures uh, malignant uh, uh, growth tumors. Uh, there's also uh, cigarette smoking. I mean, there's all forms of radiation, high, high level, uh, airline airline travel high high uh, has three times amount of radiation, but it's all handleable. Three times as much is not what Hiroshima or Nagasaki was. There's low level radiation, background radiation, and there's high level radiation. That's the distinction that people don't make. And what about the fossil fuel industry? Well, uh, it, obviously, that the first message: the fossil fuel, oil, gas, coal. I mean, they, they've been doing very well and they've been advertising. And you could say that nuclear energy never had a constituency. It's not like Wyoming with coal or Texas with oil. There's no, it's never presented itself uh, well. It's never done a film uh, quite like this. I've never seen a, an attempt to publicize what the power of nuclear energy is, which is, it seems to me is amazing. It's, it's like Prometheus taking fire from the earth and understanding it and using it for good purposes. That has never really registered on people because of all negativity comes first in most of our thinking. We take no instead of yes as a, as a response. And also, you know, keep in mind that the fossil fuel industry has benefited from renewables uh, since the 2000 period when they came, became popular. Al Gore's film on uh, Inconvenient Truth popularized renewables and made it very sexy and, and, and the thing of the moment. That's solar and it's uh, wind and hydropower, but it's essentially solar and, and wind turbines. And they built them and trillions of dollars were spent around the world. And here we are 20 fucking years later and we still have the same amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Tell me what's wrong. It's not working. It's good, but it's not working. We have to cut CO2 down. We have to cut CH4 down. That's part of the problem. The, the petroleum business, the oil business got into the gas business, right? There's a lot of operators. If you look at who owns these companies, they sell gas as a backup, immediate backup to renewables. The moment the sun doesn't shine, the winter comes, it doesn't, renewables don't work. Uh, all the time. They work about 11% of the time on, in some countries, in Germany, for example, about 11% of the time on solar and about 20% of the time on wind. So Germany is a good case in point. They spend as much money as anybody. They put up all these turbines. They put up solar parks of 450,000 solar panels. That's amazing. 
and they and at the end of it all they're still spewing out coal and co2 and all kinds of junk into the atmosphere germany is a horrible case of what happened because they took down nuclear plants that were on 100 acres of land put in this 500 acres of land of solar panels 450,000 of them and they're producing one-tenth the amount of electricity that the nuclear uh, the nuclear generator was uh, was was creating so uh, it doesn't make any sense mathematically same thing with wind uh, germany has more wind than solar and they did a good job they built a lot of turbines but they're they're still using far more land than is necessary and getting less electricity from it because you have to get backup backup is gas and that works but it puts methane into the atmosphere and as we explained in the film methane is 80 times worse than co2 in the atmosphere short term short term it, di- it dies off but in this, this right now we're talking about the next 20 30 years this is a dangerous methane is very dangerous and it's unseen and people don't see it put on your gas stove you'll see it that's the the leak the click 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 you you'll see the gas that's that's unburnt methane. and funnily enough Funnily enough, in Germany, the anti-nuclear push is led by the Green Party, who ironically are very, very pro-NATO and really, I think, doing whatever they can to risk nuclear war (laughs) with the policies with the policies that that they support. I'm well aware of that. I'm, you know, the Green Party lost its mind uh, somewhere along the line. I I remember back in the 1980s, it sounded like a good thing, Uh, (laughs) healthy, but I didn't know about nuclear power back then. They were always, I guess, against nuclear power. Greenpeace, we have a clip in the film of the co-founder of Greenpeace, Dr. Moore. He says very clearly, he says, you know, Greenpeace did a lot of good, you know, save the whales uh, against toxic waste, against uh, nuclear bombs. But we got one thing wrong, it was nuclear power. He yeah. says that. Uh, and some environmental groups are have been friendly to nuclear power, but they... Uh, Originally, nuclear power was condoned by all the environmentalists because it contributed to conserving nature. The Sierra Club, for example, supported it before it condemned it. And and can you talk about that shift in the Sierra Club? I thought that was an interesting... I don't... You shouldn't emphasize the debate pro-nuclear, anti-nuclear, because I think that's a waste of time. I mean, it's happened. It historically detoured the movement and it killed it in America, not in the world. China and Russia plunge, they're still plunging ahead, and uh, Eurasia. So uh, the the world is changing rapidly, and these countries are getting more and more people and more and more needs. More They need electricity. The demand for electricity is going to go up by 2050, estimated two, two, three, four, five, maybe even five times. That's a huge demand, and people are not going to stop. They want things. They want a refrigerator. They want what we have. They're going to want cars. They want air conditioning. It's just not going to end. So we're, America is not playing any role in this. It's just simply we're sitting here. We're okay because we have a very interest. We have a good grid compared to most people. And, we, uh, you know, it's not, it's not in our face yet. But as the world, as in New York City yesterday, as the world gets worse, you know, I think it will become more clear that it's in our face. You don't even have to believe in climate change. You don't have to because it's still a good energy because it's a clean energy and it conserves nature. So I, no matter what, you should, we should be building on a vast scale around the world. 
Now, the United States isn't doing that. We cannot build big. We don't have the capacity anymore. We have this over-budget mess, time-delayed in Georgia. It's just a mess, but, but it's going to work eventually. It's almost finished now. And thank God it's up. But Jesus Christ, we can't build anything with concrete or steel. It seems like uh, it, it's just so many fucking regulations. Excuse me for swearing. So many regulations in this country. It's honestly ridiculous. Uh, and the, the environmentalists are happy. They say, oh, yeah, I'm, if I contributed to that, God, right. good. You know? But yeah. they, it rends the costs up and it makes it ridiculous. Germany, the same issue. They, Sweden also, they started taxing these things so much that they can't build them anymore. So it's a dumb, it's a dumb. But you mentioned the Greens. I know what you're going for. They surprisingly, somewhere in the 2000 turned to the pro-NATO uh, I didn't realize that they were so militaristic. It's not the green part at all. They were anti uh, any kind of violence of that kind. Well, speaking of NATO and the Green Party, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on the war in Ukraine. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was fascinating. It really was. And, you know, I don't claim any special knowledge on this issue, so I can't issue any judgment. But I do think he makes a compelling case that at least should be debated. Yeah. And uh, this film deserves a wide audience. And I hope people watch it and, and discuss it because it's a very important topic, how we're going to find energy to you know keep the world going. And um, Oliver Stone is making the case yeah. for nuclear power. So let's have it out, everybody. Let's yeah. discuss it. Let's have it out. And make yeah. sure that you become uh, subscribers to either usefulidiots.locals.com or usefulidiots.substack.com because there we ask Oliver Stone uh, his thoughts about the Ukraine war, and he has some interesting ideas about the Greens and neocons. Hint, he's not a big fan of either. Yeah, spoiler yeah. alert, yeah. All right, well, listen, this was a great show. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.